Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so good to get to be with you today and to get to share God's Word with you. We're in this series um, on redemption, and we're talking about the, many of the ways that God redeems us, that God saves us. It's an awesome way to lead up uh, to Easter. And so we've been looking at some from the Old Testament. We're actually going to stay there today. Uh, we're going, I want to tell you a story that comes from uh, quite a ways early on in the Old Testament times. It's a time of the judges, which is a really chaotic time for Israel. Uh, the Bible says that in these days, everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And you can imagine how well that worked, right? If we're all just kind of doing what we feel like here, the people oftentimes are going astray. They're disobeying the Lord, and uh, they're, then they're having problems where their enemies are overtaking them. So they cry out to the Lord, like, help, God, we need you. And so then the Lord sends a judge, someone to come and uh, to lead them through this, to defeat their enemies, and to call them back to right living once again. So that's what's happening here in the Judges, but today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a book that gives us like a very like intimate portrait of one particular family in this crazy time in Israel's history. Uh, this is the book of Ruth, and it's set during those days. And Ruth, interestingly, Ruth is not an Israelite. Uh, she is someone... Uh, who is from uh, another country next door called Moab. Uh, but before we jump into the story, we need to understand just a couple things about their world that help us to understand some differences from ours. Because in a number of ways, uh, the, uh, things were very different than they are today, especially as it relates to uh, marriage, to the role of women, to um, how property is transferred. All these things are completely different than what we're used to. So if we try to kind of superimpose our American ideas ideas on it. It won't work too well. So as we look back at marriage, marriages in ancient Israel were typically arranged by the parents. Now, if you're a kid, you're like, wow, I'm glad I don't live in ancient Israel anymore. That sounds terrible, right? Because that's not our understanding of marriage. Uh, you know, we, we want to meet somebody who we like, and we want to date them, and we want to fall in love with them and get married and till death do us part, and this is awesome, right? That's a beautiful thing. For them, though, marriage was seen first as more of an economic partnership between two families. So you might, if, if you have a kid, uh, you might uh, look around and see another family with a kid of similar age who your family would do well to partner with, whether it's something with business or something else like that. And you might say, you know what, it would be good if we were closer to that family. So you might start talking to them and say, you know, our kids should get married someday. And you might make an agreement and you know, even contract to do that kind of thing. That's, that's oftentimes how marriage worked out. And so you know, again, we don't, we don't love this idea. I mean, if you're married, imagine when you first met your spouse and how you felt. Or if you're single, if there's somebody you were interested in, right? And imagine going home and you tell your family about them, right? And you're, you're so excited and this is great. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But um, no, no, you're not going to marry them. Um, you're going to marry Chuck. Why would I marry Chuck? Well, Chuck has a nice tractor, right? And we really... <laughs> I know the receding hairline, the dad bottle, but it's okay. He's got an awesome tractor, and we need a tractor, okay? That might be overstated, but that's basically what it was like, okay? So again, think of marriage more in terms of that. 
and also land. Uh, you didn't have realtors back then. Land was kept in the family, okay? So um, we can make Chuck go away. He was nice, but that's all right. Um, land was kept in the family, uh, because it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. If you sold your land, it was typically just for a more of a, an extended lease because eventually on this year of Jubilee, it would come back into your family, okay? So land was different as well. So all that to say, if you're an ancient Israelite, you needed to have a son. That was really important. Because sons were the ones through, through whom property was passed down, the business was passed down, the family legacy was passed down, okay? And so, it, so women in the Bible are really wanting to have sons. You don't have record of people like praying for daughters. And I know it sounds terrible, right? Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, right? Like, it's the way their world worked then. It's not prescribed by the Bible as the right way for always to live. It's how their society, and broader than Israelite society, it's how the world worked at that time, okay? So if, if you were married, you wanted to have a son because this is uh, how you'd pass down your legacy. And quite frankly, it was like your social security too. Like this is who's going to pay for you when you get older someday and retire. Your son's going to carry on the business and take care of things, okay? So all that uh, kind of tells the backstory of this woman named Naomi. And Naomi is married to a man named Elimelech. We've got a little bit of their family tree here. And they have two sons, Chilion and Malon, right? Okay, so this classic Israelite family, things are going pretty good until a famine strikes. And this, this Israelite family decides to pick up and move to Moab where there's, more, uh, where there's more food available. So they were a family of at least some wealth to be able to pull this off. They move to Moab, they're making life happen there, and then tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies, right? And so he's out of the picture now. Thankfully for Naomi, she has two sons, which means she has a future. She has a, a business future in store for her. So her two sons, they get married to two uh, Moabite women here, Ruth and Orpah, right? So now we've got kind of this classic Israelite family, but who has Moabite wives, and they live in Moab, and, and things are going pretty good. I mean, it's still hard to have lost dad, but, but we're going to be okay here, right? Well, until tragedy strikes again, and the other two sons die. So now we are left with not one, not two, but three widows. If if you're reading this as an ancient person, this is like the ultimate tragedy, okay? This is a terrible situation. And for us, it hurts because we don't want to lose our loved ones. That would be horrific for anybody. But, but take all of those things for them. It's that horrible. Plus, it wipe, wipes out their economic future. This is a threat to the whole family, you see, because Naomi is too old to have any more kids, she can't do this. And she's left with two daughter-in-laws who are Moabites, so that's not really much hope. And so Naomi's up a creek without a paddle here, okay? And she is hurting, and she's angry. And we can understand why. Verse 8 of chapter 1, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Again, these, this is how their security came. 
Then she kissed them goodbye. They all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Now that is, frankly, kind of a silly idea. You're not from Israel. You've never been there. You live here. Your husbands have died. There's no reason for you to go to Israel, okay? Go back to your families. You're young enough. You can remarry. You can have sons. You can have a future. Like, this has been a tragedy, but, but you can make it, right? But no, we want to go with you. It was shocking for several reasons. I mean, First of all, Naomi was, after all, their mother-in-law, right? And some of you are terrified at the idea of going on vacation with your mother-in-law, much less moving to another country, right? So there's that. But, but even if you have a great relationship with your mother-in-law, uh, Naomi doesn't have a great future. Like, she's in serious trouble. She's going to go back and hopefully find some family member to maybe help her a little bit, but things aren't looking good. And also, she's really not in a good space right now. She's angry. And we can't blame her, but she's really angry. Naomi's name, ironically, means pleasant. And she's feeling the opposite of pleasant, as any of us would in this situation. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means bitter, by the way. For the Lord Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full. Remember, I had a husband. I had two sons. I left Israel full, but the Lord has brought me down empty. Why call me Naomi pleasant when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon me? Naomi's hurting and angry. My name is like a joke, right? My life's not pleasant. It's not good. I, I'm bitter. I'm angry. Look at what the Lord did. I had all these things, and, and he took them all away. This story is, it, it's really like a, another version of the story of Job in some ways. You have a person who had a pretty decent life, a pretty normal life, a pretty good life, and now it feels like God has just taken it all away. Why would you do this, God? What did I do? What, how, what did I do to make you so mad that you would bring such a tragedy to me? I, I'm not, I can't be pleasant anymore. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I have a feeling that, that some of us know a bit of what this is like. You've, maybe you've lost loved ones yourselves. Or maybe it was a friendship that fell apart. Maybe it was uh, pain at church. Maybe it was a, a business relationship that, that went south. Maybe it's distance with your kids. Whatever it may be, there's those times we just feel bitter. And we say, God, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the story is Naomi never really gets criticized for this, <laughs> these statements or her reaction towards God, the book of Job, his, his friends come along and they give him lots of critique, right? And if you remember kind of one of the themes of the book of Job is that when your friend's hurting, just shut up and love them, right? Like you don't have to answer every question. And the fact is sometimes tragedy strikes. It doesn't mean that God causes all of it, but sometimes tragedy strikes and people are hurting and they're angry. And we need to have those people in our lives we can just be honest with and say, you know what? I'm hurting. I feel bitter right now. I feel mad right now. God doesn't strike her down. There's lots of people in the Bible who pray very honest prayers like this. Uh, 
And it's okay to be honest. We need to be respectful with the Lord, of course. He's the Lord of the universe. But we also need to be honest about where we're at because he sees you, he knows you, he loves you and cares about you. Well, one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws, Orpha, she takes Naomi's advice. She does the logical thing and stays there. But Ruth does something weird, crazy maybe. But Ruth replied, verse 16, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I let anything but death separate us. That's a big statement of commitment, isn't it? It's like the theme of the verse, right? Where you go, I will go. And how does Naomi respond to this big statement of commitment? <laughs> she said nothing more. <laughs> Can't talk her out of it, I guess. Whatever. Like, this shows you where Naomi's at, right? Like, she's being given a pretty amazing gift here, and she's just like, she's hurting. And Ruth, notice, Ruth is not doing this because Naomi is deserving or worthy of it or whatever. Ruth is doing this simply because she loves Naomi, and I believe she loves Naomi's God. Moabites had their own false gods, and I believe that in Ruth's time in this family, that she has experienced something different, that she's experienced a real God that's not some fake idol. She's experienced the power of a real God, and she wants that. Your God would be my God. Man, she talks about the Lord in this. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, this decision to go here with Ruth, it's, uh, I mean, with Naomi, it's probably a bad business decision for, Naomi, for Ruth, but it is what she believes to be right. She's going to go all out to show kindness, to show compassion, to be part of the, God's redeeming act in Naomi's life, and it's pretty amazing. So they go back to Israel, and now it's time to get to work because they're widows and they got to have food and all this kind of stuff. But what are you going to do? Well, Naomi explains to Ruth that, that hey, in, in our country, um, you know, there's, there's provisions uh, for those who are in need like this. In fact, uh, the law even gives provisions in Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, it talks about, it gives instruction to farmers, right? And it says, uh, that when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. So how, the, how harvesting worked with barley is the hired men would come through with sickles and they'd cut it all down. Right behind them, there would be a hired group of usually women and children who'd come through and they'd pick it up and they'd bundle it up and it would be put on carts to be taken away and processed. So it's saying, basically, when you're plowing, uh, don't, you know, just kind of cut that corner generously on the field. Don't mess with that. Leave that for them to harvest. And if you drop something, don't pick it up. That's how we care for those who are in need. They're going to come out and they're going to take these things. So it is one of the many ways that Scripture reminds us that we need to care for those who are in need. That it's not okay for us who have a lot just to say, oh, that's their problem. We need to care for those who are in need as well. It was built into the law. So Ruth does this. Verse 3 of chapter 2, Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, 
I think there's like a wink there. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So lucky Ruth, right? She just goes out and ends up in a, a relative's field, right? We can see God at work in this already. So she's working. Boaz comes up to one of the foremen, and he's like, hey, who's, who's the new person out there? And that's like, well, that's Ruth. She moved here from Moab with Naomi. Tragedy happened, and she's just trying to help Naomi out, right? And Boaz is like, wow, that's pretty amazing. We should be extra generous to her. So here's the thing. When, if Ruth is behind you and you're harvesting, be a little extra clumsy, okay? Drop a few extra things. Let her get it, right? And if she kind of gets ahead and picks up, don't worry about it. Let her do that. And at lunchtime, uh, we're going to invite her to come and eat with the hired people because that was only for the hired people usually. The landowner wouldn't provide a meal to those who were just gathering. But we're going to invite Ruth to come in because they're in a bad situation. So Boaz sees their need And he does what he can to go out of his way to be generous, to be kind with these little simple things. So Ruth goes home, and she's got more than she should have been able to get in a day. And Naomi's like, wow, what did you do today, Ruth? How'd you get all this? She's like, well, I went to this field, this guy named Boaz, great guy, right? And he dropped all this stuff, and here's what happened. And at the end... you know, and so Naomi is like, oh, well, he's our relative, right? And so this is really good news. Now, Americans, when we read this story, we want to make this like a romance story, right? Like we forget about the Job aspect. We want to make it like Cinderella kind of aspect, right? You know, like we Disney cues this up for us really good, right? You know, that there's this like young and restless Ruth and she goes out and she's gathering in the field and she meets like brawny and buff Boaz, right? And he's so dreamy and awesome. And she goes home and she tells her mother-in-law and mother-in-law says, great news, he's our relative. What? (laughs) That's not how these stories are supposed to work. I didn't want him to be like a second cousin or something, right? That's, no, that's not, we're, we we don't do that, right? That's not, not good. That's not healthy, right? But that's not what's happening here, okay? Again, it's a different kind of world. This is not like a Jerry Springer show kind of episode where we're going to fight it out like at 10 a.m. or something. No, this is, it's different. You see, Israelite law said that if you had, have a brother who's married and your brother's wife, or I mean, sorry, your brother dies, you are responsible, if you can, to marry your brother's wife. Right now, you have probably never been more thankful that your brother buys life insurance, right? (laughs) Thank God for that, (laughs) because that's our solution today. But back then, they didn't have that. So this is how you care for your brother, because if your brother dies and she doesn't have a son, she's, she's going to be destitute. So you marry her, and you have a son with her. That's your job. Not everybody could do that, though, because that costs more money. And if you were struggling already, you couldn't pull this off. Well, so Naomi knows these laws. She goes to Ruth, and long story short, she tells Ruth basically how to propose this to Boaz. Ruth does that, and Boaz is like, well, great, except there's actually another guy who has legal standing over me. He's a closer relative, uh, and so he would be the one. So Boaz goes and talks to that guy. He's like, hey, if you want to do this, you can do it. Here's what it's going to cost. He's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't have money for that kind of thing. That would endanger my estate. So then Boaz steps in. He redeems Ruth. He marries her. They have a son. And, and when the son is born, Ruth takes this baby and places it in Naomi's lap. 
And it's a way of showing God has redeemed Naomi. That God has given Naomi a son. That Naomi's family now has a future again. That her land and their business, all this kind of stuff, will continue to be passed down. That you thought God had abandoned you, but he really hasn't. That he did something so great. He would use a, a, a foreign widow and a generous guy who didn't even legally have to do this. That he would bring these folks together to redeem you, Naomi, to save you, to save your life. It's an amazing story. It really is. But there's one thing we don't want to miss at the end of the book. It says this, verse 21, chapter 4. Boaz was the father of Obed. So this is the baby Ruth and Boaz have, Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Are you remembering some of these names here? David, the greatest king in Israelite history. David, the one through whose family line Jesus will be born. Boaz and Ruth are great, great, great something grandparents of Jesus someday. And so we see here that the family line is a lot bigger than what we thought. It goes down through David and ultimately all the way through Jesus. So what was a story of tragedy is now a story of redemption. You might say, okay, well, great, that's a cute story. It's awesome to be kind and loving and all that. All true. These are good takeaways. But there's something more. There's something a lot more. Boaz, you see, is like a foreshadowing of Jesus, okay? When you look at Boaz, it's like you're looking at Jesus' shadow. Because Boaz, what he does here for Ruth and Naomi is a little picture, a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for you and me. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, and Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer, okay? Jesus, in other words, is a better Boaz, okay? Because God loves you so much that he saw you and me hurting and lost, and he gave himself for us. He loved, Boaz loved them with a love that wasn't really normal, right? Oftentimes, we love people in a transactional way. I love you if you can do something for me, and so I'll do something for you. You, do, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, life is good, right? But if that stops, I'm probably out. That's often how we love, love, but not Jesus. His love is very different than this. First John 4, 9, God lo- showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we ought to love each other. Friends, Boaz is a great guy. He's one of the cleanest characters in the Old Testament, but he falls way short of Jesus. Jesus is better than Boaz. Why? Boaz redeemed one family. Jesus redeemed everybody. God so loved the world, right? The whole world that he sent his son Jesus, right? Every people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, everybody. Jesus gave his life for you, for me, for them, for everybody. It's a free gift, right? First John, or John 1 John 1.12, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
So because Jesus gave his life, because he's our ultimate redeemer, we have the right to choose him. He doesn't force his way in. It's a choice. We have to choose to say yes to him, and it's the best choice we could make. Boaz saw a hurting and broken Naomi and Ruth, and he redeemed them. Jesus, he does the same for us. But second, Boaz was reactive, where Jesus is proactive. Boaz does what people do. He sees a problem, he fixes it, right? That's a good thing. But Jesus, much better. For Jesus saw you and me before we were even here, right? He knows everything. He knew that I was going to be a mess. He knew that I was going to be lost. He knew that I was going to be a sinner, that without him that I would be, have no hope, that I would, I would be, make a terrible mess of my life, that I would hurt others, I would harm myself, that I would have no hope of eternal life without a Savior. And so he came and gave his life. He came and he stretched out his arm and he died for me and for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think you don't matter, friend? It's not true. You matter so much that Jesus would give his life for you. And third, Boaz redeemed temporarily, where Jesus redeems permanently. It's forever, okay? Because Ruth, Naomi, Obed, David, all these people, ultimately they go to their graves, but you see, when you give your life to Jesus, you are entering the kingdom of God right here on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so we then begin eternal life now. And yes, we'll physically die someday, but that's not the end. No, no, that's just the beginning of real life. That's life as God intended it to be. Life with no sin, with no sorrow, with no death, with no pain. It's, it's a life that God created you to live. It's a life free of this scourge of sin. It's a life that God wants you to experience, and it's a life that he freely offers in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray in a minute, and you might pray right along with me and ask Jesus to be your redeemer. Because remember, it's a choice. It's a voluntary choice. It's not forced on you. It's given as an act of grace by Jesus. So Jesus, I confess that I need you. On my own, I am lost. I am sinful. I have no hope without your love and your grace. I pray that, that you would come into my life, that you would save me, that you would forgive me, I trust that your sacrifice on the cross paid the price so that I can be right with you, God. And Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be the leader of my life each and every day. I want you to come in and to change me, to help me to be more like you. I can't fix myself, God. I'm gonna need your grace to do that. Would you come and would you do just that? Lord, we love you so much. And we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name, amen.